Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back again for our fourth pre-season podcast of the year. Uh, today we've got the Statsman himself, Perso, joining us on the podcast as a special guest. Perso, welcome aboard, mate. It's been about 12 months. Yeah, it's good to be back. I took a bit of a hiatus last year, but uh, I've actually got a bit of a Supercoach bug back this year, so I'm looking forward to it. And you've uh, you've been doing a bit of research and stuff. You, you're raring to go for March. Yeah, I've, I've gone mad sort of in the last couple of months. So I was well behind with all my usual scribblings. But um, I was playing catch-up post-season, so it's good. I'm uh, ready to roll. Good stuff. Well, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you listeners would have seen Perso post in a lot of the groups as well where um, he's put up some really good articles. Perso 6060 gun uh, list is really good, um, especially when you're looking at um, pre-origin and post-origin. It's really interesting. So there's been some great articles that Perso's thrown up there, so no doubt we'll get some... Some good stats today, but um, in saying that, we're going through three teams. We're going to be going through the Tigers, the Warriors, and the Dragons. Uh, three teams that had, I guess, struggled last year, um, but since Perso is our guest for today, we're going to start off with his Tigers. Before I say anything, Perso, how are you feeling <laughs> about the Tigers for 2020 after last year? Uh before a couple of signings, I thought we'd be looking at the bottom four, to be honest. Probably the most pessimistic Tiger supporter that there is when you count all the Tiger supporters groups. I think we're winning premierships because we signed Adam Dewey. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, that stuff. Uh, yeah, not overly confident. Possible. We'll be somewhere between 7th and 12th. If you guys assume, make the... Um the top eight, it'll be an improvement. So, I mean, it's a pretty low bar that you guys have to set. If you get to the top eight, you're going to be pretty much a successful year, I would say. But your your draw for the year, um, which is good to look at, is actually pretty decent. So, you start off with um, the Dragons at win, um, but the Dragons have obviously given up quite a few points. Then you go into the Knights at Leichhardt, uh, and then we've got the Bulldogs, which is a nice matchup at Campbelltown. So, you've got Leichhardt and Campbelltown round two and three. Uh, and then for round four, um, you've got the Warriors, although away, but it's still the Warriors. Um, and then Paro at Bank West, and then Penrith at Panthers Stadium. So I normally like to look at the first sort of six or seven, eight rounds on this. After that, you go to the Gold Coast to play them, and then you've got the Sharks at Suncorp Stadium in the, um, the Magic Weekend there. So, mate, that first two months of the season... Um, the Tigers, pretty low-key, have quite a good draw. Uh, they don't really play any of the powerhouses, and they've got quite a few of the non-top eight sides. Yeah, it appears friendly at first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's a hideous draw. Absolutely hideous. Why don't you like it? Uh, because the teams were playing. It was like two years ago, when the Tigers had the uh, the worst draw ever, and was, was played Melbourne twice in four rounds, and we beat them. <laughs> and... So dragons at Stadium, dragons always start well. So a bit of the reverse, the reverse mocker, you reckon? You play against the, the shit dogs, teams and the you dogs go bad. Us, dogs beat us twice last year. <laughs> we were sitting third on the ladder the first time, and then it was the game on the line in the second part of the season when the dogs rolled up and beat us. 
Panthers we always struggle against. We won last year in a hideous game of football by two points. Oh, that was and terrible. They beat us in I remember game that. When Masters couldn't kick a goal, it was one of the worst games of footy you've seen all season. Oh, I reckon it's the worst uh, in many years. That's the one where Cleary ended up kicking. Yeah, and winning, it was yeah. hideous, man. <laughs> Certainly not super coach friendly. And it definitely wasn't one that needed yeah. to go ninety minutes either. I think we all wanted it to stop at eighty. The nights at like out there, that's not bad. The Warriors over there, we're not overly good over there, but they're always a good super coach game, Warriors and Tigers. So that's not too bad. It's a soft draw looking at it. That's I, I don't like to preempt a lot of things into the draw with the new season because, as you know, every year it pops up and you think, oh, yeah, that's an easy draw backing off what happened at the back end of the last season. And then teams that haven't even changed their roster are a totally different outfit coming into the following season. So I don't read too much in the draws until um, sort of mid-season. Parramatta is another one. I don't think their draws anywhere near as easy as what they are, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, let's have a look at the Tigers' um, movements for this season coming into 2020. Um, quite a few recent signings, actually, that have changed things up from where we thought they would have been about three months ago. Um, Billy Walters has um, come over from the storm, but we've also almost got the Momorowski and Grant swap happening as well. So I think we can pretty much talk like that's going to happen at this point. Luciano Lelo has come over from the Dragons. Zane Musgrove has um, come over. Um, well, he was held out last year. Joey Lelo has come over from the Raiders, and Adam Duay is um, come over from the Rabbits. So. Um, not a bad crop of signings. I guess it's not like there's a heap of, of crap signings or second-grade signings. Most of them are first-graders, but whether they're good first-graders is going to be the question. Then, as far as the losses go, Robbie Farrow retired. He was really good last year for Supercoach when he was on. Um, Madalino and Robbie Rocco retired. No big loss there. But the two big losses for Supercoach purposes, Isan Masters has been good at the Tigers in the past when he was motivated, and he's off to the Cowboys, and Ryan Madison's the big one. Ryan Madison was a the Tigers' best um, super coach player person, so he's he's going to be a tough one to replace. No, he's a huge loss, Madison, both super coach and NRL. But uh, for super coach wise, I think it'll be pretty much pick up where uh, Manu Ma took off last year. Yeah, the rules. I don't. I think he's still an option, but um, yeah, as far as the Tigers go, massive loss, uh, especially super coach. It's interesting. Last year, the Tigers. Post-Origin had six players average uh, in the post-Origin gun list, and Madison was one of them, but he averaged more pre-Origin because he was primarily at um, the edge. Moved the lock midway through the season, but still managed to over 60. So Yeah, there were some really good numbers in that. Um, so that's a pretty good segue for us to get started and talk about our first gun. Um, and this is a gun that I know that you love first, so, but he's kind of underrated yeah. a lot of the time. David Nofaluma. Now, quick run through these stats and then I'll pass over to you. But Nofo kind of quietly averaged 65 points a game in 2019. And that was actually uh, the, the best that he's done. If you go through it, he's 2018 backwards. We've got 52 points, 64 points, 60 and, and 52 in 2015. So he actually had a bit of a career year. When you're looking at it, his games are probably the big thing that stands out. Uh, the last two years, he's only played 14 and 18 games. If you go for the last five years, he's gone 14 games, 18 games, 24 and 23, which is good, but the year before that was only 10. So a bit of a games issue on whether he's actually going to get through the season. Um, he's always been a, a really good base player. Uh, he only sort of had around a 33 base last year, which isn't the best, but it's all his base attack. 
that really gets him up there. So one of the things I'm interested in, in um, a bit more from you, person, I mean, the stats are in the yard. One of the things that I noticed with him, looking at his 14 games that he played last season, he, he had almost a third of his games were actually under 40, which was pretty unnofo-like. He, he had two big tons in there, which helped his average. But uh, I guess for any years past when I've looked at him, and I've probably bought him twice in my life and both times he disappointed me, but... In the past, when I've been interested in him, it's been because I've sort of thought that I'm guaranteed sort of 40s as a poor score, so I didn't really mind if the Tigers weren't going to go so good. He did have a few, a few lower scores last year. Um, he's kind of expensive at 605k to centre-wing. I don't think anyone can really do it or justify it, but what do you look at, what do you think of his prospects in um, 2020? Do you think that it's going to be a bit of a repeat, or do you see any um, cause for concern? There's a massive argument you could say he's underpriced. <laughs> which sounds crazy, but talking at the moment, the way that the uh, horizon is looking with, um, I don't think this is finally going to be the year where there's not going to be a hell of a lot of bottom dollar cheapies. So forking at 604k for a centre wing is um, very risky business. But if you do like the Tigers draws, so I think um, lots to like last year. He only played 14 games because he was in Reggie's to start the year because his defence as everyone knows, it's not exactly rock solid. Yep. So Madge started him in reserve grade. He worked on his defence, got back in the team, and he was outstanding once he got back into the side. He's going to be running off uh, Joey Leilua this year as well. Can go one or two ways. If Leilua's got a point to prove, he can be the most damaging centre in the game. Could be a uh, Leinofo combination like Lapana. So there's a lot of lot to like there. His stats were incredible last year in those 14 games. He only scored six tries in those 14 games, which is a little bit up. He's inside, his men haven't really given him much opportunity in the last couple of seasons. But um, his combined uh, base average plus his base attack average was 56.57 from 14 games. Put that into perspective, uh, Tolman is one of the best sort of base players. Doesn't do a lot else, but his was 62.61. So he's almost nudging at the back end of the um, the forwards that you put in your side for um, just base quality. So 34 base, but then 22.57 in base attack in tackle bus and offload. So you had 75 tackle bus in 14 games. It's 5.3 tackle bus per game. It, it, this season coming will be more opportunity to actually get attacking points. So, you know, if you can take the risk and fit him in, he's always one of those players you never regret getting. I had him post-origin last year. He actually got a couple of doubles and got those scores you were talking about, and it was great. But he's always, he is always there about. The Tigers will get flogged in the game, and he'll still rack up 50 points just from running and tackle busting and offloading. Yeah, it's that base attack that's that's always been the key to his value. His tackle breaks and also offloads as a winger have been exceptional. Um, I remember a couple of years ago now, he had a game that he almost cracked a ton and he didn't actually have a try or a line break or a line break assist or try assist. It was just like eight offloads and ten tackle breaks and all the and all these runs. So I mean he's got that upside, so I can see why you think that he there's a argument for him to be underpriced. I, I think that you'll probably agree with me though, as far as round one buys, I'm I'm not looking at oh, humongous one. risk. Yeah. Massive humongous risk. risk. How can you find how can you find at the moment six hundred and four K to play on a player that can come out and score twenty three in round one? Well, I guess you can have six other rookie set of wings that aren't going to play. You can play with 15 players round one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, look, you'd only be a madman to take him round one. 
but um, you'd definitely be watching him. Yeah. But, uh, I actually did a reshuffle this morning and squeaked him in, so... <laughs> He's one of those players I hate leaving out because he always kills it. We don't have even post-Origin last year. He was the 17th best player in the last nine games of the season. 11th best player, sorry. 74.67 he averaged in the last nine games last season, which put him 11th coming home. That's just Uh, crazy, though, that for a centre wing to come in at 11th and he's actually a winger. It's phenomenal. It's it's almost like he should be spoken close to the semi Radra seasons and, and you know Sebo when he was on and stuff when he was playing well with good base. But I, I always think, flies under the radar too, which is the other appeal, Barney. Yeah, I mean he'll he'll he's, be he'll be one percent owned for round one, surely. Oh yeah, he was always a massive pod. Even when he's on a run like the end of last year, runs out of trades. He's always a massive pod. Well, I'll throw um I'll throw a spanner out there that I'm sure I'll get people cracking at, at me on social media about. I, I would much rather buy. I'm not going to buy Nofo. I think it's too much money to invest um, for round one in a centre wing. But I would I would rather buy him for this season than what I would for a 50, 60k more investment in Latrell Mitchell, who I've seen in a lot of people's sites. Oh, 100%. I can't understand the Mitchell ownership at the moment. He won't kick goals over Reynolds. So when there's a loss, and it'll take. Don't get me wrong, Mitchell may end up being one of the best players in Supercoach this season, but I think starting the season, he's going to lose money before he makes it. Yeah, agreed. So let's move on from Nofo. I know you'd love to talk about him all day, but we've got some <laughs> other guys on this Tigers side. VJ Leilua, he's under our risk category to talk about. I see him as a huge risk. He's coming in at 466k. Now, I guess it, I've been guilty of this per se, where I've... Looked at him with rose-coloured glasses before. I don't start with him round one, but I see him during the season, and I and I see a nice run of games like he had last year from round four to six, where he sort of went 70, 61, um, 94, and you know had a heap of base base attack. And I just go, oh wow, that's tantalising because of his tackle breaks and offloads and work rate. Um, and I end up buying him. I always end up disappointed year after year. It does make me overlook the fact that he has always been a very average player. If you have a look at his super coach numbers, he averaged 50 in 2019. But if, if you look at the years before when he's been less interrupted seasons, you know, it's 2018 was 51 points, uh, 2017 was 47, 2015 was 43, and I purposely left out 2016 because it's a massive anomaly outlier at 72 points. I think with five years worth of, of stuff to look at, we can safely say that 72 isn't going to happen again. The last three years have been around that 50-point mark. I don't see him improving at the Tigers. I see a few people asking some questions about him. But he's not a guy that scores a heap of tries either. And his base is actually, your raw base is 25, 25 points a game last year. He has to get that base attack to be any good. And we all know that BJ can be a bit lazy. Perso, what do you think for round one and for his season outlook, considering that some people are making the argument that maybe... You know, he's got a point to prove. He's going to the Tigers. Madrill getting fit and all that. What do you what do you make of him as a signing for 2020? As a Tiger supporter, you've summed it up 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... I'm non, it depends which Leilua you get, basically. But um, they could go one... It's it's dead set coin toss. So go one or two ways. Does he have a point to prove? Because he wasn't wanted at Canberra. Does he get himself fit? And does he bring out the best player that he is? Or does he just take the paycheck and go the retirement village that Tigers seems to be and become the lazy player and useless super coach player that he was at night. That's the big question. It's a big 50-50 coin toss. With the Tigers draw that they have, the potential there is for Leilua to reach that 70-odd average that he had in that gun season. 
So it's it's a massive risk. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I would actually be sucked in again. And I, you know, I do this with a few guys that have helped me out in Supercoach or sort of have, I, I'm a sucker for, one of the things that I'm a sucker for is the big base attack. Like guys that have heaps of tackle breaks and offloading ability, I get sucked right in because I don't have to rely on the volatility of try scoring. So I, I really yeah, get sucked in. the bread and butter, isn't it? Players can produce that. Yeah, especially in centre wing because, I mean, you, you're going to have freak try scorers that can go three weeks without scoring a try and then you need to look at what you're left with. So, But 466k is what turns me off the most. It's not breaking the bank or anything. It's not like a 600k nofo. But if if you wanted to get value out of him, I feel like that he needed to be closer to the 400k mark. If he was 400k, I'd consider him. But 466, it's just a bit too much for the, the volatility for Joey. Yeah, well, that's where the draw comes in. If, if you believe the Tigers draw is off and you get a few attacking points in train with that, then he might be worth a risk early and then maybe reassess an upgrade or, you know, he might have a point. Rich, he's, a, he's the epitome of rocks and diamonds, like the like, <laughs> either make or break your season picking that guy. Yeah, he really is. Um, and he's probably a really good segue into... Um, Firstly, we're going to stay away from him. I think we're both in agreement with that for round one. I'm not going near him. But um, it's a really good segue into his brother, Luciano, because old Lucy's come over from the Dragons, and we've actually I've actually put him under a big balls pod option. Um, and I'm going to give you some numbers, and you've probably looked at these numbers anyway, but I think it really comes down to the predicted teams. You know, Some predicted teams have him starting, have him starting on an edge. Um, some of them have him off the bench. Now... If he's starting on an edge, he's coming in at 434k. Interesting numbers um, with Lucy is he's got you know only a 41 minute average last year, and that's really the key. If he's starting, he's obviously going to get more than that. Digging into his numbers per se, what I noticed was his four games that were 60 plus minutes last year, he had a 68 average. That had two tries, but he is a bit of a um, attacking weapon. If you look at his games over 50, he had seven of those games, and he had a 64 average. He does project as one of those guys. Fitness has always been an issue. Um, Madge has always been a bit of a tough coach, and I don't really believe that Luciano is really going to pull his finger out enough. But the value is there at 434k. I say it's a big balls pod per se because you've got the lay lower risk. Just anyone in that family seems to be the risk. But do you see him as being a, a decent viable, you know, mid option for your second row? Yep, straight in. Straight in. He's always um, my, oh, my fourth um, second row forward at the moment. But I, the, the, the big ball throw in, 100% right. But even off the bench, games last year when he got the opportunity, he was a post-origin gun, nine games averaged 65.44. He'll be playing at least 60 on the edge, I believe. That's the big question where Madge is going to play him, but I, I think he'll be on the edge, but... I don't know if he'll put him on the same right edge as his brother and not um, Luma because it potentially could be a disaster. We'll find out more after trials. But um, at this point in time, this far in the season, I think he's a, he's a fantastic option. Could be an underpriced player that will average sort of mid-50s and make some money at, at worst. A couple of attacking stats early on because he just seems to be able to jag him when he gets the minutes. So he could be an absolute super gauge gun, depending. He's worth the risk, I think. Yeah, he's he's got the sort of game that makes him a better super coach player than what he is in real life, I think. Um, if he's on that edge with, with BJ and with Nofo, Madge has completely lost his marbles. But you know, it's probably they're probably gonna wanna they're probably gonna wanna play with each other though, so I can see it happening as well. But um, you know, if that happens, I I think that he's 
if you, I'm going to say per se, if you're a believer in Luciano going well at the Tigers and he's named to start, you, I almost think that you have to take him from round one because I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're going to want to buy sort of round five, round six, because I think that there's high volatility in, you know, the defensive structure, like you said, with Madge maybe dropping him to the bench and different things happening. If you want that value, I think it's going to be from round one. 100%. If you're going to have to take the punt on him, take the start, Woody Pooks, get rid of him. I can't see him being a consistent gun, but there's a bit of merit there to sort of take the punt early, make some torn and sort of upgrade. I'll tell you what, if you're a believer in the revenge games as well, First game against the Dragons. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. If, you, if you're going to pick him, you've got to have a crack. Yeah, so um, I reckon he's a decent option at the price, 434k. Um, and, you know, the first real chance he's had at the start of the season to be a starting back rower, if he starts, then um, he's, he's a lot better than what his brother is at a more expensive price tag. Um, rookie Cows, let's have a quick talk about them. So... Talau was one that has been in a lot of teams to start with, and now, it, you know, it looks like that there's a chance that he's not going to get a spot. Um, even not getting a centre spot if Embai goes back to centre, I kind of thought that um, Talau might be able to beat out Jennings on the wing, and in fact, if I was the coach, I would put him on the wing to sort of finally give him a go, because he seems like a bit of a gun that you don't want to lose. Do you reckon that he's going to get a spot for round one, or you see him as sort of out of the 17? You might have him by playing centre, and you might have a Talao on the bench and then by goes Bilger and they rest Grant. Aside from that, I don't think he was ever going to be in the first side at the start of the season. It won't surprise me at all if he's on the bench. Yeah, that's just a super coach killer if he is. He's 208k, so he would have been um, he would have been all right if he was a starting centre wing. I would have had him in my side because he is meant to be quite talented. He only had the one game last year, so we don't have much to go off. He scored a 33. The other guy that does that I do think will have a bench role and is someone that I'm looking at is Musgrove. So obviously Musgrove had last year off, um, and he's back now for this year. He has been a guy where when he came through at South, I actually rated him pretty highly. I actually thought that he could be a starting prop in the NRL. Coming in now, he's going to be just a shade over 200K. One of the reasons I'm looking at him even if he's on the bench, he's a guy that um, you know, averaged 39 points a game in 40 minutes in 2017 when he last played. I guess for me, per so the promo forward spot's a bit of a, a problem spot where if you don't really get a gun or a gunish player and spend, there isn't really any middle ground and there isn't ever a lot of rookies and you never hardly ever get a rookie front row forward that starts that you can just plug in at 200k. So he's going to be my fourth. Um, front row forward at the moment, and I'm projecting maybe a similar season to 2017 when he was sort of scoring, um, you know, 40 odd minutes. Um, are you are you sort of seeing it the same? What do you think he's going to be the last rotation guy at like that 22, 25 minute mark? No, I reckon he'll be whether he's time to start or off the bench. I think you'll see that 35 to 40 minutes mark. I think um, 100% in Major's rotation. If he's named anywhere in that 17, you've got to pick him because especially with the lack of cheapies that are around, especially in the forwards. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we might go through and only get one or two four cheapies named, um, and then you sort of you really stuck because you can't you can't stack your pack to that degree. You can't have all those reserve expensive forwards there. So you you almost have to get a Musgrove. I've got him in. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that he's he's got that thirty five to forty minute role, and I'm also pretty sure that Madge brought him through Souths when he debuted. Um, so I do think there's that connection there as well. Yep, so pretty good value for him. Um, 
Now, Grant, we're going to assume that he's coming across. He's 185k. Um, a few people might have seen some of the stats when Wilfred was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He spewed out all of his, um, you know, Queensland Cup stats, and they were absolutely amazing as a starting hooker. He had a bucket load of tries and line break assists and try assists, and his attack was off the charts. Now, 185k. The the big question is going to be. Whether he starts or is off the bench per se, and that's going to come down to M by, I really don't know, so I'm interested in your take on where he's going to fit in the side and what his minutes are going to be, but I'm also interested in what you think about it, considering that we've got Braley at 200k as well. Um, are you even considering the, the two cheapy option, or are you just going to pick one of those guys? Uh, yeah, of course I'm considering two cheap hookers. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> Oh, 100%. If the Momorowski Grant bill goes through, that means the Embi will go back to left centre. Grant will probably play 80. He's 100% way better than any other option we've got at the moment. Little's out till probably around 16 or so. You'd be lucky to see first grade this year. Farris gone. You've got Reynolds, Embi, any makeshift player you can think of slotting at, at hooker. So. There's a reason why they're doing it. The reason the deal's taken so long is they've targeted trying to get the Momorowski extension done. So when they swap for a year, Momorowski comes back, Grant goes back to the storm. If Grant's there, there's a fair chance of playing 80. So there's a lot of merit in going uh, the Grant Braley option at hooker, especially with the lack of cheapies. That's the, that's the biggest thing. It all depends on the cheapies. But I think this year, finally, we all talk about it every year. The year of the mid ranger, and there'll be no cheapies, but I actually think this year might be the year. Yeah, we say it every year, and it doesn't really happen too much, but <laughs> maybe it'll be this year. I mean, I, I'm thinking myself that is going to go back to centre and just stay there. Grant's going to start at nine and play 60 minutes, and Billy Walters is going to be on the bench and maybe snap 20 minutes because they seem to be pretty high on Billy Walters as a sort of utility, and he's had some training runs at hooker already. Yeah, well, that'd be a scenario if Reynolds gets rubbed out. So if you had to choose one of them out of Grant and, and Braley, if both of them were starting, um, if gun to your head, what, what one would you go for out of the two? Well, if you believe what you read, probably Braley, because uh, they've got no other option unless King's on the bench. Yeah. Um, but uh, he looks like a, he's probably the only no-brainer must-have at the moment is Braley at the Sharks. Yeah, uh, he really is, and I think that he's been in you know forty percent of sides at the moment. That's probably going to skyrocket as it is. Grant looks like a great option. I wish he was dual position because I, I really want to have him in. Um, he's very highly rated at the Storm, so it's going to be hard because I, I don't want to not have Cook because uh, I, I was speaking about it last week, person with Billy that um, three out of you know had that run where three out of his four games over from round six or something was you know yeah, hundred plus. Yeah, started slightly sluggish and then went berserk and he was the top pre-origin gun player at 86 average. Yeah, and look, I've been uh, guilty of this as well, mate, where I've, I, I've, at the start of the season, I've prioritised making money over the points and I haven't really paid enough attention to the points. And I was talking about this with a lot of people online last year that you can't, it's great to get all the money and everything and, you know, people show off and go, oh, look, I've made, you know, two million bucks in the first month of the season. But if you're scoring shit and you're starting a guy that's, you know, at hooker and giving you 40 points a game, you're just too far behind. So that's what I'm worried about. And that's the problem with the two-gun hookers. If 
if you can jag the right player in another position, if you're going to go two cheekies and leave Cook out, then it might work. But a lot of people suffered like a couple of years ago when Pritchard and Braley came through and there was two cheap boppers and they made a lot of money. But at the same time, you're missing out on the points. So it depends where you can balance your side, but it's a risky option. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to choose one of the two. Um, let's talk about the mid-cows. So one guy that's come across from South as well is Adam Dewey, and he's 343k. Um, now, last year, he played a dozen games, and he played as a 4, a 7, and a 1. He you know, only average, he didn't he didn't go very well. That's been nice about it. His, his scores weren't good. Um, but having said that, you know, when you're looking at his number one scores, they're probably slightly better than the others, but... He averaged about 38 points in the number one jersey. Now, in saying that, a couple of things that I do like about him per so, he's, he's been confirmed by the West Tigers as being the first choice goal kicker. And he, he didn't actually score a try in his 12 games last year at all. And now, you'd assume that he's going to score a try, uh, or he's going to score a few tries over the course of the season. Um, and that really picks the average up very quickly when you're a 38 average. And then the goal kicking as well. So I'm looking at him as a guy that's priced at 38, and his floor with goal kicking and some tries has to be 48 probably. So to me, he's like 10 points unders. And at the start of the season, having a guy that's pushing sort of 50 is, you know, like him that's a goal kicker floor, I'm, I've got him in my side at the moment actually. And I'm starting to, he's starting to grow on me despite his shit super coach scores in the past. Oh, I couldn't agree more with your analogy. On paper, he looks rubbish. But, um, <laughs> No, he does. He's not a super coach friendly player and he's not going to be a gun. But he is changing clubs with a point to prove. If you're reading the draws, target draws, not too bad. He should average another 10 points a game just with goal kicking. And that's kicking two goals, missing one. Yep. So he's definitely underpriced. I'm not saying he's going to be a gun, but he, he's priced off an average of 36.9. He's going to average somewhere between 45 and 52 or something like that. So. If, especially if no cheapies come along, you've seriously got to con- consider him, especially, you know, give Jack a couple of attacking points in the first couple of games and you might make a motto early and you piss him off as soon as you can. Yeah, he's a dual player as well. So if you do have an issue with a fullback and you can't um, get a fullback in straight away, he's, he's one of those guys that during the year you can move from your centre wing if you've got to sell, uh, heaven forbid, a Teddy ACL or something. Um, you can throw him over as a reserve hooker and, and get a centre wing in. I hope I didn't just put the locker on Teddy. <laughs> Which is a massive bonus this year too, Barney, because there's bugger all jewels. So that's another point. Yeah, they've been they've been really tough on the jewels. I mean, I'll talk about it on another podcast. But someone like Cohen Hess, I was really, you know, he's he hasn't been a good super coach player. But if he gets a starting gig and he doesn't get to be a centre wing because he played centre three or four games last year, and they just haven't given him a games. jewel. Yeah. More games, he played more games at centre wing than Capewell and Alex Glenn, and both of those guys got dual status. So. Uh, don't get me started, Perso. We don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dewey's straight in my side. I'm keeping him there. My centre wing at the moment, Perso, I've actually got four mid-ranges between three and 350k as my starting centre wing. So I've changed my centre wing build quite a bit because of all these mid-range guys like Dewey. Yeah, I won't talk about my centre wing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got three Tigers in my centre wing, so I'm shitting myself. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I've got Dewey, Leilua, and Northern Lama. Oh. <laughs> I just had a uh, heart problem for you, thinking about round one. 
Um, let's have a talk about some of the other guys. Uh, there's a couple others. Um, I know that you've got one in particular that I wasn't even thinking of, so I'm going to be very keen to hear about him. But first of all, um, I want to give a quick shout-out more than anything to Alex Twelve. I actually really liked him to start the year, and I, I dropped him at the last minute. He ended up being pretty good value to start the year, but that dropped off. Now, Twelve's a front rower, and there isn't much value in front rowers, so it is good to have a look at him. Um, he only averaged 53 a game last year. But it's a little bit misleading because he started off really well. He actually, across the first eight games of the season, um, was averaging 60 points a game. The problem was that his minutes started going up and down. So his final six games were actually sub-50 minutes. And that just killed him. And it meant that he you know, had sort of a 50 average instead of his 60 average he had for the first couple of months of the season. Uh, 52 in raw base for the year, um, but he was you know close to 58 in raw base for the first couple months. That was almost all of his 60 points he was getting for the first two months. He was looking pretty beastly. I've always really liked 12. If he managed to get consistent minutes per so, um, he would be one that's a super coach option um, coming in at 492k. Um, I don't, I'm, you can't really start him at all for round one, but he's definitely a guy I've got my eye on because he's a guy that in the juniors could play 80 minutes as a prop. Yeah, I started with Twa last year with that, and I ended up um, stuck with him all season, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> the time came, there was always a pressing issue, and he sort of sat down on the bench right through. Well, he got benched um, in round 19. Like, why, why, would he, why would you bench Twa well, Because he was, his game changed, that's the thing, and I think he'll be off the bench this year as well. He was just a purely, he was playing big minutes and purely a tackle bot. Like he was make, racking up those 60, so he had three sixty scores in a row in the first five rounds. From I think round three to five, and um, it was mainly all tackles. He's running the ball. He was so ineffective, and he ended up starting. Um, Major ended up starting Oliver Clark, who was playing the first twenty minutes, and that was it. Dwyer was coming off the bench playing fifty-five, and he actually had more effect in real terms yep. running the ball. So I can see that again this year. I reckon Clark will be named on the bench. You'll either have McKayley or. Oliver Clark playing because Alloy will be back as well. He won't. He's got a, a super coach friendly game in the raw base side of things, Twelve, but he just won't see the minutes to be relevant. I don't believe. Yeah, he's got to get the minutes, and if, if he's off the bench, it's an absolute killer. And to talk to what you were talking about, um, round two to round five, those four games, his raw base was 63, 66, 56, and seventy one. That was basically like David Clemmer. Um, top of the line, raw base numbers. I, know, I, I thought I'd found a, a um, pod gun, but then all of a sudden it dropped off. We did me at the minutes, and that was it. I could never remove him from his heart. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, I, I can't look at him. If he's named, it'll be intriguing. It'll be, but uh, I definitely watch the minutes. The rotation is a little bit weird, and there's a couple of new players in the Tigers, so I'd, um, I couldn't take him at all. Well, you mentioned McKayley. I mean, if you think that he starts, does he become an option? Because I actually really rate him as a footballer. Um, he only got 30 minutes a game last year. Um, he's only going to be about 300k. If he starts, um, if he's getting like 45 minutes or something, or 40 minutes, he's going to be pretty good value. Do you, is that sort of where you're seeing McKayley be? 100% he'll develop more this year, whether it happens at the start of the season or through the season. McKayley's a both NRL and Supercoach wise a good prospect, but I can't I couldn't take any middle forward at the Tigers on Major's rotation from last year and the way the players are coming through this year and then you add Musgrove and stuff that's just too much of a risk for Supercoach. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be watching guys like McKaylee because if they do what you said, Perso, and they start, if he's not just going to play that 20-minute cameo to start, and I don't think he will because I think he's one of their better prop prospects. Um, he might be a buy sort of round three before the price rises happen or something like that. Um, now, one other guy, the last guy I was going to mention before I'll throw over to your ultimate pod discussion is uh, Moses Embi I'm going to mention because there was talk that he was going to play hooker. Um, and a lot of people got excited. 377k. Um, he's actually coming off his worst season. He's lost his goal kicking chance, and now we've got Harry Grant coming. So he's pretty much completely been killed. But if he started at hooker, I'm going to have to say people should just be backing off because Grant's going to be on the bench anyway. But even if Grant wasn't, his his scores were pretty bad. And I've said to a few people. You know, before Grant even came into this discussion, that um, even if Moses starts, he has to have the goal kicking, and I would have been interested if he had the goal kicking. But without the goal kicking, his numbers at nine just haven't been good enough for the dogs, and I didn't see that really changing. He looks largely irrelevant now, doesn't he? Now that um, Grant's come across anyway. Yeah, he'd have to play 190 minutes as a goal kicking hooker. No, he just didn't more. Tiger's perspective, I'm, I'm glad he's back at left centre because that's probably the, he's, the way he played the best last year. The supercar's always in the hand up. First, I might um, go over to you to finish off on the Tigers. Um, you, you had another guy that you wanted to chat about as well. So I'm just going to pass straight over to you for that one. I'll be brief. <laughs> the uh, post-origin guns last year, there was seven roosters and there were six Tigers. Uh, so I've got to mention Garner. In seven games, average 63.57. Uh, this year, more development. He's a bit of a smoky. Did score a few tries, so if he can keep that up, he'll be done. One dirty word you're going to get all the time when I mention him is Luke Brooks. I've never run as a player until the last couple of years, let alone a super coach option. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even mentioning him. But... Um, he did a season average of 58 last year, and he was the 17th best player coming home last year with an average of 71.67. He was in the top five with Trices. I think he's second or third to um, Moses. So if you believe the Tigers are going to improve, it's going to be on the back of him. He could have possibly have the breakout season we've been waiting for for the last fucking six or seven years. So brave man to take him in your Supercar side, but there's some stats there saying it could happen this season. So... He might be the middle. I actually had a look since you um, mentioned him and I wasn't even going to look at him at all. From round 18 to the run home in uh, round 25, across all those games, nine of them, he only came below 60 on one occasion and that was 44 points. So aside from his 44 points, he was at least a 60 score with his range of 60 to 90 aside from his 44 so he really did it very consistently for the last couple of months of the season. Very under the radar and out of nowhere. So I'm going to watch. I don't think anyone can start with him for round one, but he was a really good shout by you because I didn't even um, look at him. And that's that's what a lot of super coaches as well, guys. You need to be looking at everyone because you'll be surprised occasionally you'll find a Luke Brooks and you'll see a run and you'll go, shit, this guy's been doing this for two months and no one's even spoken about him. So, you know, he did it last year. Maybe sometimes you can find those guys and jump on and have the early pod factor. Uh, he's average. Well, look at his games without Robbie Farrer involved too since he won the um, Dallium half back of the year a couple of years ago. That <laughs> can twist your arm a little bit even more. He's a lot better player at the back of the season without Farrer. 
Mate, you would have to twist my arm off its socket to even look at Luke Brooks. <laughs> but he's a good I'm shout. actually considering him. I think I'm, I'm nuts. But I'm looking at it going, oh, is that the gut feeling? Because I'm not a, look, I'm the most pessimistic Tiger supporter there is. So I don't pick Tigers players in my side. But I'm actually looking at Brooks thinking, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm going to nab him. Good luck with that person. I'll be watching from afar. <laughs> Crash or burn, or maybe maybe it'll work out. We'll see. Um, let's let's move over to the Warriors now. The Warriors obviously had a pretty poor year last year too. I was reasonably vocal in that I didn't uh, see them as um, having a good season last year, and I, I, don't, I think that that happened. I actually expected Kearney to probably end up getting sacked. Um, that might have been put off until this year. Having a look at their signings and everything, um, their new signings for twenty twenty, they got Wade Egan from the Panthers. Um, other than that, it's not not a lot to crow about, really. They've ended up losing Blake Ashford for retirement. Liggy Sow and Isaac Luke went across to the Dragons, which is probably their biggest loss. So, first, though, the, the Warriors haven't really actually done anything on the player market much, and they weren't good last year. They've still got the same coach. They still seem to be the same old Warriors. I'm expecting them to be in the bottom four teams, and uh, I'm not expecting much from the Warriors at all. Are you in the same boat, or are you seeing a New Zealand resurgence? No, I 100% agree. I think they might start the season as a, a team that will be competitive and everything else, but when the nitty-gritty gets down to it, the depth gets tested and everything else, I'll be surprised if the Warriors aren't bottom four, to be honest. Yeah, maybe even a sneaky um, spoon contender, but I'm not going to say that because I don't want to annoy all the Warriors fans. So I think they'll be in the bottom four, though. There's absolutely zero chance they're making the top eight, and people are welcome to quote me on that one. They're not making the top eight. But they did have a guy last year that was an absolute gun, and that was Roger Tuvasa-Shek. So um, 660k, he's going to set you back. So he's going to be expensive, but he averaged 71 last year. And it's his best scoring output since his career year of 77 points in 2015 with the Roosters. So took him a few years with the Warriors, but he seems to have finally nailed it. Um, some of the things that we saw at the Roosters from him in his final season was his ball playing was, was getting a lot better. Um, and then it sort of fell off when he got to the Warriors, but he's brought that back and gotten a lot better out of the last sort of one, one and a half seasons. And his base was right back up there as well with his base attack. So ended up averaging a big 71 points, a bit overshadowed by all the other fullbacks and everything. Um, now, so I've said to Billy and to Wilfred, I'm I'm all over Pong Pap. That's Pong and Pap is my fullback combo. Um, if I wanted to try and fit someone else in, it was Tedesco and maybe Turbo as sort of the fourth guy. I just I'm ashamed to say that I can't give any love to Roger because I feel like he probably deserves it after last year. Well, yeah, my supercoach side this year is called Pongenhausen, so I'm in the exact <laughs> same boat. But uh, if I was going to pick someone either from those two, it would be RTS before Teddy and Turbo, to be honest. Huge. Uh, it's super, super consistent, only for the fact the run home, if Tavoyevich stays fit and Tedesco obviously still fit, the run home, Tedesco is just a post-origin, ridiculous post-origin jump. You've got to have him inside. Tavoyevich, same thing, if he's fit, he'll have him. To start the season, I can't see any point picking anyone else but Palmer and Pappenhausen. But if I was going to go for the point of difference in that, I've gotten men in the hole who saved to a rush check. He was so consistent last year, so consistent. 
and he's so much cheaper than your Tedesco and those sort of guys. 60-60 gun, he was the eighth best 60-60 gun. He was a pre-origin. Pre-origin last year, he averaged 74. Post-origin, he averaged 76. Fourth overall in points. Ninth overall in average. If you want a point of difference, RTS is your man. There's no reason the Warriors won't start well as well and then fight again. But even when they fighted last year, he still produced points. He's their main go-to man now. He plays left and right. He's the main point where they get the points. So it's just unfortunate you can't pick 10 fullbacks in your side. Yeah, it is. Uh, not having some of these guys as a jewels is really, really annoying. He he was super consistent last year. And, I mean, Blake Green's older. Uh, whether it's Nick Arima or CHT that starts in the halves, they're not going to do much. They've got a rookie, or relatively a rookie in Wade Egan starting at nine. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be the RTS show. He's going to put up points regardless, like you said, and that's a really good point on why he's better than other guys that are in bad teams um, because he's going to put up those numbers anyway. Looking at their draw, they don't have the, the greatest draw. They don't have the worst draw. It's kind of just average. But round six and seven, they hit like the, the Roosters and the um, and the Storm, um, two teams that normally don't allow a lot of super coach points against them. And the Storm's at Amy Park and the Roosters uh, are at Mount Smart. So uh, they do have some tougher weeks there. Oh, look, I think that we can just say that he's a great he's a great pod. He's a fantastic fullback, but with all the fullback options, it's a bit hard to look at him for round one. Having a look at the risky options, one guy that's a, a fallen gun of the past um, is Tohu Harris. Now, I was never a massive Tohu fan, but you know he he did do really well in the past, and it's kind of. You know, he had a 2015 average of 61, and then he had his career year in 2016 of 67, and then he fell down to 58, and people sort of forgot about him once he fell down to 58 in 2017. But very quietly, he's been a 60 average between 2018 and 2019, so he's still sort of qualified as a gun almost, still scraping in. He's kind of gone under the radar with that. He's had a lot of injury issues and stuff as well, but he still maintained a decent base for an edge player at sort of 45-ish. And he only scored two tries last year when he's been a bit of a try scorer. If he can get back to 24 games or, or closer to it and he doesn't have any injury issues coming in this year per so, you know, is he a risky guy that might actually pay off because he's he's cheap at sort of 546k? Um, or is he a guy that's just it's madness that you would have a look at him? Uh, massive. He's, he's a massive prod. Um, very hard to leave out, to be honest. Even going... You see, looking at the past of players that have been like him, especially on the edge, that move from Melbourne to um, anywhere else, they don't rack up the stats. But even last year, pre-origin, he um, averaged 60.27 from 11 games. So injury is the only concern with him. Like it, he wouldn't look out of place on anyone's side if you want to take the punt on him, and he'll have massive low ownership. So if you could, as you said, he didn't score bugger all tries last year. If you could jag a try too early, he could be a super point. Yeah, he really will be. I can't do it because I don't. Um, I don't like the the upside. I'd rather like the upside of an Angus Crichton for a similar price or something like that. And if I wanted a, a guy that I'm worried about injury for a similar price, I'd probably rather go with Nathan Brown. But um, I do think that the he will be the biggest pot out of all those back rowers that have been averaging sixty the last couple of years. hundred percent. If you've got him, you're charging points, not value. But that's where it be. It depends what your angle is. But yeah, hundred percent. You're hundred percent right with that. It's points over value. Uh, Kenny Mamalo, the beast, he um, had a massive year last year. Um, I only ended up with a 60-point average, which might surprise a few people because it felt like he was performing a lot better than that. 
He comes into this year at 557k. Um, I've seen him in a few sides, actually, per se, because he obviously scored a heap of tries last year. He scored 17 tries in 2019, um, had 35 in raw base, and his tackle busts were pretty good. So his base base attack was up there for wingers. One of the things that I can't get over, and why I don't think anyone should be looking at him at all, is he had a huge career year. He went to, he went from 41 points and, and then 40 points in 18 to 60 points in 2019. He had a 50% increase in his points output on what he'd done the last two seasons on average. And then on top of that, he just you know had a, a really big amount of tries through his games played, 17 out of 23 games. I understood some of the love last year, um, but I just I, I think that he's in for a, a massive nosedive this year. That's one of my big predictions. I reckon he's losing you know at least 10%, maybe 20% of his value this season. Like uh, for the life of me, understand why anyone would even consider Mamola for round one. The life of me, can't understand. I got him as a big balls pod, so you know maybe that's why you got big balls. Oh, you want a pod in the centre wing? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you why now. But he had a great year last year. <laughs> Feel sick, just just leave it. Um, he was a good player in the juniors, so maybe he 
will develop, but that's one of the things that you go, you know what, I'll watch, and if he does develop, I'll buy him later on. You know, that's that's going to be a better option than um, trying to get him round one, even if you had no cheapies. Um, but last guy I wanted to chat about myself on the Warriors uh, was a bit of a fallen gun, and I'm putting him, putting him on a fallen gun status because Jazz Tavaga just can't stay healthy. He's um, probably going to be out until round five. That's a current projection. Maybe he gets um, through and comes through a little bit earlier, but for round one, he's not really going to be an option. But because of the lack of guns in the Warriors' side, he really deserves a shout-out. He um, he ended up averaging 57 points in 19, and he averaged 58 in 2018 as well. So he's actually backed it up a couple of, um, of years in a row. But one of the things is that he played almost 50% of his games or, or right on 50% of his games off the bench last year. Um, so that was one thing that affected his value. If you look at his games where he's actually starting and sort of from around 15 onwards per so, he was an absolute beast. Um, you take out his injury-affected games and everything, he was averaging like 70-plus. He was just killing it. Oh, he was a new Simon Mannering. When he, especially with the games he got at lock, he was a new Simon Mannering. He was unbelievable. Uh, the biggest problem is that he's gone. Robert Hooker as well, between him and uh, Fainer getting allegedly all stabby with his good water remates, that would have been my first two big talkers, Fainer and Tavanga. Because you look at his games, Tavanga had over 65 games, like 65 minutes last year, average 69.33 in nine games. Take that one 20 minute game out where he got Simbin sent off and got 14 negative stats, he averaged 75.5. And his role will be similar. Lock will be playing 65 to 80 minutes and most of them tackles. He'd be in everyone's side first up. Yeah, he ended up not being bought by a lot of people even when he was going well last year. Uh, I mean, relatively speaking, he wasn't huge ownership. So yeah. he's he's definitely one to put on the watch list, isn't he? And, and to look at trading in during the year. Oh, 100%. Definitely. I mean, watch as soon as he's fit and ready and he's watched probably three or four games in. Coming to that uh, origin period, we're looking to trade out a few origin players. He might be the guy who might slot in to those spots because he'd be back to form by then and Matthew will. Yeah, well, the other thing too is that he, he, I would imagine he's probably going to come in off the bench because he's been injured. So we're probably going to end up getting a couple of price drops out of him as well. So it's going to be a value buy um, coming out of that first buy that the Warriors don't actually play. Um, he's going to be huge value. But not for round one, obviously. Um, Perso, was there any other Warriors that sort of piqued your interest that you want to talk about? Because they didn't have a huge amount of relevant guys for round one. Nah, not really. Maybe if you took a punt and thought the Warriors might score a few points, he could. He's got good base stats. Average nearly 60 pre-origin, but yeah, that's another like, risky board type. And there's maybe no um, cheapies this year, so nah, not really. All right, well, um, let's move on to the Dragons because they're a lot meatier. Um, now... The Dragons were pretty disappointing last year. Somehow, Mary McGregor kept his job again. Keeps on happening, um, but they surely have to do better this year. I mean, I'm looking at them going person. They've got a good side on paper. They did last year. Surely they don't go a second year in a row and just be bitterly disappointing. You looking at them for an improvement this year? Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, on paper they've got a great side. They always start the season on fire, but fall away with the same roster for some reason. Yeah, I mean, looking at the roster, their new signings, they've got Isaac Luke from the Warriors, Trent Merrin's come back home after being over in Leeds, uh, Willie Army from Catalans and Truamano from Panthers. The guys that they 
ended up losing. Widdop was a big loss, but he was pretty much out most of the second half of last year anyway. Reese Robson off to the Cowboys. Uh, Lattimore's retired. The rest of the guys um, were pretty much reserve graders, aside from Leilua and, and Pearson got a few games, but haven't really. Uh, aside from Widdop, haven't really lost much. Um, the first guy that I want to talk about, Perso is their gun, and their main gun had a career year, and that was um, McInnes. He had a career year by eight points a game. He was sensational. He um, he really took me by surprise. I didn't expect it from him. Before the 2019 season, he was a guy that averaged 60, 58, 55, and kind of expected that 60-ish from him. But in 2019, he went to 68, and that's the difference between being sort of a gun to being a really quite an elite gun when you're getting to that high 60s average. Those are the elite gun territory numbers. He did that with a 53 base. One of the things that worries me, first of all, it's a great thing that he's a jewel where he can be put in your second row as a second row um, hooker jewel player for 2020. But I've seen a lot of people put him in the second row. I am a little bit worried because he comes in at 633k and I'm looking at guys 100k less that are genuine back rowers that could average the same as what he did in 2019, thinking he doesn't have much value there. And if I were to guess where he's going to average per so, I would think it would be somewhere between 60 and 68. I don't think he's going to repeat 68 again. No, you've nailed it, Bunty. Nailed it. He was the third best hooking option, and he was the fifth best second row option. So he's, he's peaked. He's at his peak price. Uh, coming off a, a bad injury last, you know, last year, they've signed Isaac Luke and Merrin. If the JDB court case goes well, then they've got him back as well. There's absolutely no way at all I could consider him for round one sort. Yeah, it's a, I feel a little bit bad saying this because he's a real big gun um, for them. Last year is great. I want to give him credit, but he's almost a bit trappish, isn't he? Yeah, he's 33k, uh, pre-origin 67.45, post-origin 76.36, which was his ninth best, which was his, to his detriment last year. He had a lot more games over 80 than normal, but he was 18 points, 14th in average. He's at his peak, like it's the best. Like, he's one you want to watch, but there's no way at all I'd start with him. And obviously, I'm going to pick him a hooker over Cook or Smith in the second round. I think there's, like you said, there's a lot more value there. Than mad to pick McKinnis to start the season. Absolutely mad. Yeah, I mean, with Isaac Luke, it's come across like Luke's going to be on the bench. Now, McKinnis had times where he, he was just going to sort of play a lock sort of role. Do you think that that happens, that, that Luke comes on and takes, you know, 20 minutes on the field and McKinnis goes to lock? Or do you actually think that Mary might actually start to rest him because he's got someone of Isaac Luke's calibre to play spot minutes off the bench? I'd say he gets rested at the start of the year. I think last year he didn't have the choice. Uh, the look at the games when Robson was on the bench, McInnes did lock back to um, lock and played in the middle and still played 80. But this year he's got Luke and Merrin. You're not buying those two players to play 15, 20 minutes a game. That's especially coming off the injury. He might only, he's been named captain as well, which is <laughs> a spanner in the works. He's been named him captain, so he might keep buying him for 80 minutes, but... I think at the start of the season, the risk is way too big to even look at McInnes. Peaked out, fair chance he plays 60-65, which is going to lower his average by 10. I don't even know how you can look at him. Yeah, I think. I mean, it does look good on paper that he's 68 and he's got the dual second row hooker, so people are sort of thinking that they can play with three hookers that are going to be high tackles and work rate and all that sort of stuff. But with all with the middles that they've got, like... 
potentially Debellin and Merrin come back and they haven't really lost anything. Um, that's a lot of minutes in the middle to keep playing him 80. And look, if I was going to say a smart coach, but they've got McGregor. Um, <laughs> a smart coach would realise that they've got all these quality middles now and there's no reason to run their captain into the ground. Like, you look at what Trent Robinson does and even what Bellamy does sometimes too. You know, Robinson recognises that Cordner's been busted for a couple of years from all the work and minutes that he's played and he, he takes the opportunities to take him off. I don't see with the quality that the Dragons have in the middle how they could possibly entertain putting uh, 80 minutes on McInnes all year. 100% agree. I don't think he'd be an 80-minute player this year. It's not like he's been an 80-minute player his whole career. Quite capable of it, but what you brought up is a 100% point. There's no reason to burn him out. The time to maybe put him on is uh, put him on your watch list. He's, the Dragons do play the first buy, so the other couple of teams have chatted about don't, but this Dragons side will play round 12, which means if you were someone who wants to play a bit of Russian roulette um, and cash in Cook over Origin, maybe a a cook to McInnes for round 11 um, would be on the cards per so and then swap them back around, you know, sort of round 16, 17. Right, oh, that's a fantastic trade. Cook's a massive sell over Origin, so just watch McInnes' price drop and then swap for Origin and then swap back again. Yep. Um, so let's move on to the risk. Now, I don't want to talk about these guys too much. I haven't seen them in many sides, to be fair, so we don't really need to spend much time on it, but... The risk you see when I look at this Dragons side is their halves. And I've just got halves written down. I don't have one player, I've just got halves. And that was, you know, Corey Norman at 492k and, and Ben Hunt at 554k. Now, you know, in fairness to Hunt especially, he actually averaged 60 points in 2019. So technically he got to, to gun status and he had a few really big games. He finished the season on a 116 point outing against the Gold Coast. Uh, mid-season against the Dogs, he threw on 101 points in round 13. And then in round five against the Dogs, um, he threw on 134 points. He's one of those guys that loves to put up a huge score against not-so-good teams. Um, he's probably the better option out of the two, but it's it's a huge risk if you've got either of them. I mean, Hunt's sort of been good before, but you know his peak was in 2015 at 64 points a game. Are you seeing any type of resurgence there? You know, with the Dragons having a pretty reasonable draw to start, do you think that is? Any value in, in a, in a pottish risk on someone like Ben Hunt, or you just think that the halves are just a no-go altogether all year? Yeah, no, I couldn't go near him. Um, Hunt, he summed it up perfectly. He's that type of player. Like, he's not bad. He's going to be in that top plethora of um, halves, but he doesn't have a big game in him often. He'll consistently get the base to get in the 30s, 40s and stuff, but he'll do that too often. Look at last year. Pre-origin, 56.45. Post-origin, 56.86. <laughs> yep. It's, he's just that you're paying for what you've got and he's not going to take you to the next level. Yeah, he's that's just, right. just under that gun status. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking at it from a, um, a non-round one point of view, um, we both agree that it's, it's insanity to look at him for round one. But with the Dragons playing that first buy, looking ahead... In round 11, the Dragons play the Gold Coast Titans at Jubilee Stadium. Now, that's the time that I think that, that Hunt's going to be relevant. Um, I hope. If he's not going to play Origin, um, and we know that he's not going to play Origin at that point, training him in at round 11 um, to play the Titans and then to play your round 12 buyers by cover, um, that's where I think he becomes a bit relevant. Oh, definitely an option. He'd be 150k cheaper by then if he doesn't play. 
Yeah, hopefully. Um, no, hopefully no 134 points the week before or something like that. And if that's the case, when you're getting towards it, sort of, of the, you could you could definitely get him in and keep him there as a 18th, 19th man or so. Then quite happily take his 50, 60 points a week. Yep. So. Um, big balls pod, mate. Um, now, we spoke about the dearth of talent that's often in the front row forward spot. Um, Paul Vaughan comes in at 556k, so it's not one of those real expensive forwards um, that's going to break your budget. He averaged 60 points in 19, so was technically a gun. 53 points in 18, but 2017 is the year that Supercoaches remember fondly. He averaged 68 points in 2017. It was a huge year for him. It was on the back of not just a solid base, but also quite a few tries. And it took him seven, uh, sorry, 18 rounds before Paul Vaughan scored a try last year. And he only scored two tries all year. He was a bit of a try scorer before that. So there is some cause to think that there might be some value there. The problem is we spoke about all the middles that, um, that the Dragons have got. And when you look at, um, the minutes that the Vaughan got even last year, it's a bit of a lottery. You know, you can go from 42 to 50 to 60, back to 43, up to 65, down to 50. There's just no way of uh, rhyme or reason of seeing the, the minutes that McGregor was playing. Now, he's a big balls pod for a reason, but if you can get a, a front row forward that's going to average, you know, 60s at that 550k mark and be solid week in, week out, um, it, it, you know, it is a worthy consideration to, to at least have a look at. No, Anyone, because they're, so that if they're going harsh and born as the second one, he's going to consistently nudging 50 period. He's not going to improve at the lesser price, 100%. Um, 60.55 pre-origin last year, there or thereabouts. To start the season, he did a lot worse. Not going to, I don't think he'll ever get back to the try score in ways of that season, but, you know. He's, he's worse scores a lot mid-50s, so he's not a, like a bad player at that price. It all depends on you balancing your side. Have you considered him at all, mate? Have you had a look at him? Or? No, because I think there's better value than other, other players. But um, aside from that, I wouldn't... Uh, I can't see any improvement, but you're not going to um, undo your season by picking him. Yep, yep. Um, slight segue, but since we're talking about the um, front row forwards, uh, what are the ones that you're liking at the moment as opposed to Vaughan? Ah, oh, there's some value with the Sharks. Oof. <laughs> that probably gives it away, hey? <laughs> <laughs> there's some value with the Sharks. Uh, well, a lot of value with the Sharks with their middles, uh, whichever way they roll with. That's a... You get to turn back to 2015, uh, to 2015 and go to the woods, he's going to get more minutes. He's priced at 48, 49. Not going to make a lot of coin, but if you're looking to fill that side to tuck a gun down a little bit, like if you're looking at Vaughan, that's what you're doing. You're picking Vaughan because you need someone who's not quite a gun, but you, then if someone's going to get you 50, 60 points a game, you can probably cut out 80k and pick a Woods top. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And when you're comparing them, Vaughan's um, a, a bit more cash than what someone like Woods is, and they're probably going to do similar stuff. So um, that's a perfect preview for the upcoming podcast, per se, where we do hit on the Sharks. So well done, mate. You did that without me even telling you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to the mids and cows, though. Um, now, one of these mids, per se, is a Barnsley staple in his successful years, which hasn't been the last couple, but... Um, Trent Merrin has been in my side. He's one of my most beloved Supercoach players ever. He's just one of those guys that I love starting with every year. Um, 
it always came through for me when he was at the Dragons. Obviously fell off a fair bit at the Panthers, but he comes back from England this year. Um, I saw some pictures of him and, you know, you've got all the pre-season talk of, you know, trading the house down and all that sort of stuff, but he did look like he'd lost a bit of weight and then it came out that he's lost about six kilos, I think it was. Um, he's only priced at 408k, so he's coming uh, reasonably cheap. I'm I'm considering um, Trent Merrin. It's a good price for me if he's the starting 13. Uh, if he's on the bench, you just have to you know not look at it at all. But if he's a starting 13, I, you know he has to be getting minutes in the 50s, even with a, a good middle for the for the Dragons. Um, and if he's fit, you know back to offloading like he used to at the Dragons, where I don't think he was allowed to as much at Penrith. He's got to be a bit of a consideration to have a look at for round one. I've got about as much interest in Trent Merrin as I do in Married at First Sight. So you're a big Married at First Sight fan, then? <laughs> <laughs> I've got no interest in Merrin whatsoever. Not a, I'd rather Stevano, who I reckon is a massive trap, than Merrin. I've got, yeah, I couldn't go near him. So is that because of the middle rotation that you're worried about with how many minutes he's going to be getting at the Dragons? Yeah, 100% and he's 30. It's, he's not the player he was. Come back from the UK. The six kilos he's lost, he probably needs to lose another 10 from spending 12 months, 18 months over there. I couldn't go near him. Couldn't go near him. Oof. I, I am going to consider him, but um, I would like some <laughs> I would like some guarantee on the uh, minutes, and I need to try and erase the prior Marin seasons from my memory when he was at the Dragons because it's, it's given me rose-coloured glasses, maybe. He looks like Fenton at the Cowboys to me. Fenton was one of your first picks when he was at the Riders, and when he came, was at the Cowboys, you wouldn't even look at him. It's the yeah, same boat. Former gun, John. Forget about him. Yep. All right, that's fair advice. Um, I, I might end up putting him on my watch list more than likely. Look, if he was 300k um, and he got a big discount, I, I think that he would be much more likely and he should be in. But 408k is a bit of an investment, um, and it is... An awkward price for a mid-ranger, isn't it, per se? Because it's one of those things where you're sort of, you know, 100k off getting a, a gun type of player um, and sort of a couple hundred k off, you know, those lower price guys. It's just an awkward price point at 408 as well. Oh, 100%. You're paying for it. You, you need a bit of an upside if you're paying 400 for a mid-ranger. So I can't see any more upside than 60s and 70s if he's having good run, Merrin. Like, if you're playing that sort of a mid-range, you want someone that's going to get you 100, maybe, upgrade early. Yeah, I have no interest in Merrin. Yeah, the the money-making is definitely a concern. Um, getting to that 100k plus mark is going to put him over half a million, and whether he can get there early, I don't know. Um, some guys that will get there early, though, I reckon. Um, Lomax is the first guy we're going to talk about. He comes in at only 325k, and he's going to be a dual um, fullback centre wing as well, which is handy. Um, only eight of his 13 games in 2019 were actually 80 minutes. So he's going to have a huge amount of value. He didn't kick that much last year either. And he's going to be goal kicking this year. So person, between the five games um, that he played sub 80 minutes and was coming off the bench and, and the fact that he wasn't goal kicking, even though he only averaged 32 points a game in his 55 minutes last year, his scores looked horrendous. He only had one score that was 50-plus, and that was an 86. It's almost like Dewey, isn't it, where you have to just sort of throw the scores out the window and go, no, nah, it's a different year. He's got the potential. He's got the 80-minute gig, and he's got the goal kicking. So don't worry about the rubbish we saw last year and just sort of take the punt. 100%. Yeah, 
Tony so steps out the window with him. Exactly what Billy's fighting with dropping the fullbacks. Like a tube, he's pretty much going to take a point on back. And yeah, so... Well, it's not well. Yeah, that's right. Worst case scenario, if someone gets injured, you can drop him. What do, what do you reckon he's going to end up at? What sort of average are you sort of seeing for Lomax? Oh, I think the average is 48 to, to 56 type average. He's a dropping fullback. He's making a mock here, isn't he? Yeah, well, he'll make a he'll make a heap of cash with that, and it's sort of like um, I think I think some people are looking at the the three hundred to three fifty range guys and thinking, oh, I, I, I might have to get a um, you know a baseline cheapie at sort of one hundred and eighty two hundred k to sort of make up the money, but the extra money that you're paying, that extra hundred odd k that you're paying, is made up by the fact that he's a goal kicker. Hundred percent, there's ten points down. He's going to get that if he didn't have last year. And he goes off the bench and he doesn't see really, really a lot. My match was made, but I know he's planned. Uh, Saab is another guy that's a bit cheaper again. He's a 271k per, so he only played three games last year. Average 42 a game. Not much that you can take away from that, but it does mean that he's got a cheap price point at 270k. One of the things I like about Saab is that he looked like a bit of a try scorer. He scored three tries in his three games last year, and he's also a really tall kid too, and with the new kicking rules and not being able to tackle in the air at all, which you haven't mentioned yet, but a defender cannot tackle anyone in the air even if they're about to score a try. They've got to wait until they hit the ground. Being a tall kid, um, Ben Hunt and Corey Norman are decent kickers. I can see him getting a lot of kicks out to his wing, provided he starts. He's an interesting one too because he's, he's, again, an awkward price point at 270k. He doesn't have the goal-kicking fall like a low max. He's going to have pretty poor base. But, geez, I really like the look of him, so I'm struggling to try and talk myself out of paying the extra 70k to sort of, you know, have him in there if he's starting on the wing. I don't think we're going to have a choice. <laughs> I think Centre Wing is going to be... But if we do get some Chevys roll up, they're not going to be at Centre Wing this year. So, so I think we've got to look at... There'll be, there'll be a half GP at Dragons one way or another. It'll be Sharp, Sailor, Willie Army, someone of those guys. So whoever gets named, you know, we never know. So you got Saab and Lomax penciled in at the moment for round one? Oh, Lomax, 100%. And then the other one's just a place for it who's between Saab, Sailor and Willie Army, basically. Yep. Two of them will more than likely be on the side, so who won't know more until TLT. Yeah, the dreaded TLT for this year. There's going to be a lot of changes to sides, I think, when that rolls around. Um, was there anyone on dra- the Dragons' side other than those guys that you wanted to have a quick stab at? Not really. They've got a lot of guys who are like close to guns, but not quite guns. Aren't going to improve. Yeah. Unless you're going to take a punt, like, yeah, not really. It's, yeah, you Corey Normans, you Jordan Perez, can score decent, get a couple of points early, you might be able to use them and upgrade to someone else, but, yeah, all risky options. Not really much from the Dragons. One of those weird sides, they're always, like, there and thereabouts, but not really that relevant, especially Sevigas was. Yeah, their Supercoach season almost mirrors what their NRL seasons are like, where, you know, they're not terrible, but they're not very good either. And they're just, you're stuck in that no-man's land of a lot of guys that are going to give you 50s and, and be okay, but no one's going to be fantastic. Yeah, 100%. All right, mate. Well, that'll wrap us up for this week's podcast then. Thanks for jumping on again. It was good to have the stats man on to have a yarn about footy again. Yeah, enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Getting the bite back this year, so good. Good stuff. Well, good luck for round one, Perso. We'll chat to you again soon. 
All right, guys. So thanks for listening once again. Uh, just remember you can uh, not just download us, but also subscribe on iTunes uh, so you get the up-to-date episodes as soon as they come out. You can also listen and download us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter as well, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Give us a share around when we um, throw the podcast out there too. It helps us get some extra listeners on board. But until next week, guys, good luck with building your teams for round one. TLT is getting very close, and there's a lot of good articles out. So keep reading, keep listening, and we'll chat again soon.